Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another installment of the Distant Poet Society. This is Mr. Smith. We got Miss Rodriguez and Mr. Santos. Miss Ramirez will not be joining us for this episode, but we hope to see her soon. I mean, if you haven't heard of this movie, you're living under a rock. You might be some, some other kind of parasite, but it's very metaphorical, and that'll make sense as we talk about it later on. But um, I will let Miss Rodriguez describe it to us. All right. So for a summary, um, it's a 2019 South Korean black comedy thriller film directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also mm-hmm. co-wrote the screenplay um, with Han Jin-won. The story follows the members of a poor family, it's the Kim family, who scheme to become employed by a wealthy family, the Park family, by infiltrating their household and posing as unrelated, highly qualified individuals. Um, so that's just the general. Do do I should I give a more detailed summary of like the big events that happen? Nah, because well, we should we should give a disclaimer, kind of like the way that you did a couple of podcasts ago, where we tell the where for all of you listening, you kind of pause it now if you haven't been watching it. Make exactly. sure watch the movie before you come back. All and, right. Yes. And this is one of those movies where. I could tell you every single thing that happens in the movie and you'll be like, whoa, that's insane. And then you'll go and watch it and it's still insane. Like, even, yeah, it'll be just even just us. Like, if, if you haven't seen the movie, it's on Hulu. It's free for streaming. Um, watch it, please. It's really good. Uh, but yeah, so we're going we're gonna to spoil the whole thing in like All right. 15 seconds. So just to review the big point big points if you haven't watched the film in a little bit um so the parks leave on a camping trip the kims revel in the luxuries of the parks residence they they eat and they drink and they just hang out and the old housekeeper um appears at the door and it's revealed that her husband has been secretly living underneath the home in a bunker for over four years hiding from loan sharks and then the the rainstorm that night brings the parks home early from their camping trip and the kims scramble to clean up the home before the parks return and a brawl breaks out between the old housekeeper, her husband, and the Kims because they um, they want to be able to expose each other so they can continue living with um, the park's influence or their money or being able to, you know, be a parasite to them. The Kims, however, win, and they trap the couple in the bunker. The Kims manage to sneak out, and they find that their home is flooded with sewer water, and they're forced to shelter in a gymnasium with other displaced people. The next day, Mrs. Park hosts a party for Da Song's birthday since the rain ruined his camping trip. The old housekeeper's husband escapes the bunker during the party, searching for revenge because his wife has died from the injuries caused by the Kim family the night before. The party turns into a violent bloodbath, and the following characters die. We have Ki Jung, the old housekeeper's husband, and Mr. Park. Um, and I had the whole list of all the events that happened, but it was a little too complicated. It's, it's I would say, similar to the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. Interesting, yeah, just, interesting just, parallel. Well, I similar. thought it was all Tarantino. Like, I, you know, <laughs> that, that last scene, I was like, wow, this, I've seen this before. <laughs> it's like controlled chaos, I think. Is, yes. Um, and and I, I looked at a lot of like reviews and notes of it and that entire, well, so first as the only person that I think hadn't seen the film before this week, um, the whole first half, I'm like, okay, what's, why is everyone talking about how great this movie is? Like everything was like fine. Like it was a classic setup. It made sense. I was interested. I was enjoying it. But then as soon as I want to say like right at the hour mark where the Kim family is um, drinking and enjoying uh, the uh, Park family's house and the housekeeper shows back up. That was when I kind of like clenched and I didn't unclench until the movie was over. 
And then just the overall birthday party scene, it was insane. And one of the things that I noticed that someone wrote um, on one of the forums online was that when all of that's happening during the party with like all the murder, like the camera's right there, almost to the point where you can't really see what's going on because it's almost like you're one of the people that are just kind of an onlooker as this, you know, brutal chaos happens. When I watched it the first time, it was when it came out in rental. You know, my wife and I watched it together. And then, I mean, that was months ago, uh, maybe more. And then, um, and then, so like when, when, when this one came up for the podcast, you know, I, I, I rented it again and I was taking a look and I had forgotten the ending, but about half, kind of, you know, a quarter way, maybe halfway through the movie, I remembered the ending and I was in anxiety of the ending. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the movie, yep. like it's it's difficult to watch for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think they did very well with the buildup uh, in that way. Yeah, it was great. And then and then after the the chaos of the the birthday party, um, the father who kills Mister Park, he like escapes and hides, and you don't know where he is. And I don't know about you guys, but I was really hoping that um kiwu or kevin like was going to buy the house and i'm like how amazing would that be this family like they were hard workers yes they took advantage of the system and all this and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing if he gets to walk out and be free and then the camera pans to him just still sitting in his bed and i was like of course of course because he's not that's gonna get out. not how so... the world works oh yeah 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 oh so yeah, it's good right i mean like this is uh, i forgot one of the i read uh, i read a bunch of things I, re- I read off of wikipedia i read from the washington post i read from imbd one i think the washington post article cite somebody else is calling it like painfully realistic you know yeah. what i mean and I, I i think that's i think that's kind of the the director's thing here mm-hmm. um i i liked it kind of reminded me that ending that that Ms. rodriguez just described kind of remind me of the ending to inception sorry if i'm spoiling that for people but mm-hmm. um where you know you you're led to believe that you know, like that it's going to go well, that, you know, that, that there's a sense of closure and yada, yada, yada. And then at the very end, they're like, no, it's just, uh, it's just a fantasy. I feel like Inception was ambiguous, though, where you could think that it'll all work out. So it actually isn't an ambiguous ending, but that's another thing for, well, I guess, yeah, I, 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 I guess I can explain it super quickly. It's not ambiguous because, um, that isn't his totem, apparently, and then also he could see his kids' faces. So we're talking about uh, about the end inception. of inception. <laughs> yeah, inception, and also yeah. the thing falls, doesn't it? Or no, the thing stays spinning. It, it stays spinning, but but it cuts to black before you even see if it's because it wavers a little bit, and you don't know if it's going to fall over or not. But then it just cuts to black. Boo! I don't know. Go watch Inception, and yeah, that is what good. you guys think. <laughs> or watch The Prestige. It is Christopher Nolan's best movie. But back to Parasite. Back to this. Parasite. So in an interview, Bang Joon-ho had said that he wanted that last shot to be the kill fire, or the, the uh, surefire kill is what, he wa- is what he called it. So basically the idea that, oh, I could give you this idealistic depiction of what might happen. Like even, um, I can't even remember his, uh, Ki, Ki-woo? The is brother, yeah, Ki-woo. Yeah, so um, Ki-woo, he's like got like, differently dyed hair he's wearing these nice clothes he's touring the house all that stuff is good and like he sees like him and his him and his mom are walking through the lawn and like 
He comes out of that basement, which we'll get into as like a character or a literal framing device. But anyway, um, and then it just hard cuts to, and I didn't even realize it, but the same shot that they use at the end is the first shot of the movie. Right. With, with all the socks hanging at the top over the, oh, over, yeah. over the window pane. Well, I think we don't have to do this now, but I think that we should kind of segment a little part of today's podcast just to talk about metaphors, uh, even though that's not the way we have it usually framed because it's it's pretty thick. Um, it is. Oh, yeah, we can do that. We can definitely do that. Well, let's talk about the social and historical context. Um, and then we can see if we want to talk about metaphors now or later. So the social and historical context of the film. So it takes place in South Korea. Um which I think is particularly interesting for an American audience because we're not used to seeing films outside of America. Um, well, I guess outside of the Western world. Um, and then, um, so, it, and also it's in South Korean. So you have to read the captions unless you know Korean. Um, and then physically you also have that wealthy home, the parks home versus the semi-basement apartment that the Kims lived in. And then I guess kind of the bunker. I guess I could have included definitely that in the like the physical setting. Is it supposed to be like now, or is it supposed to be something different? No, it's definitely modern. Yeah, yeah the guy's job, uh, the the guy, um, what's his name, uh, uh, Dong Ik Park. Um, he he works for like some type of technology company. I think they, they, there was a brief scene where he's in mm-hmm. his office. Yeah, and... I just. I guess I wonder, because there was that story um, that uh, Keith Tech was talking about, the father and the the Kim family. He was saying that there was like a a security guard job opening that attracts 500 university graduates. Is that what is what's happening in South Korea right now? Or is it kind of an exaggeration? So that actually ties into a different scene in the movie, too, um, because... I went and looked at like a discussion thread for when the movie uh, um, immediately came out. And there were some people saying like, Hey, I'm from South Korea. And if you've never lived in South Korea, here's a couple of like contextual things. Uh Um, Becoming a security guard or entering law enforcement is like one of the only ways that people that are poor can enter a new like bracket of wealth. But um, there are so many applicants that apply every single year that as like if you take it the first time and you and you fail you and then you take it again the next time and you fail again it's just going to be harder and harder because every single time you go back to take it more and more recruits that are just now of age are trying to do it as well there's there's a lot of material that alludes to kind of the difficulty of the times in there whether or not that's a reality uh in in, in actual south korea but but i i would assume that it is I, you know i'd like to think that that uh that the writer is trying to address something that's currently happening and even if it wasn't the case right there are plenty of places around the world um where you know where that is or has been the situation shoot any if if you go back to 2008 2009 after kind of that big old um uh the 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 housing um recession Mm -hmm. happened i mean that 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 hit a lot of places and anyways um and and that that put that that among other economic phenomena, you know, caused that type of situation to arise in different parts of the world. So even if it, even if it weren't the case right then and there, it has been the case there, probably there and in other parts of the the world. Um, But I mean, they allude to, 
you know, they, they, they talk about uh, one, one of the characters talks about how he doesn't even qualify anymore for the national pension. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there, there's, there's, you know, the, the, the main character, um, Ki-woo. Uh, Ki-woo, he, I mean, he had been in the military. He is clearly uh, a talented uh, individual. I mean, he, he speaks English pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he, he has, hopes of going to the university and just from on, on the face of it, it looks like, you know, it looks like he could do well in, in, in the university. I mean, they, they, he and his sister are both pretty resourceful and smart individuals, but there it's very obvious that there's a situation uh, at play that keeps them from being college educated or initiating their college education right then and there. Obviously, some of it's economic, but it, it looks like some of it has to do with opportunity as well. So, I mean, they are painting. They're, they're, they're painting at least the picture of a world that is stacked up against a particular group of people. That makes sense. Well, so we can move on to characters. I think that's a good transition. We have the the Kim family. So we have Ki Woo, who goes by Kevin when he starts working for the Park family. Ki Jung, who, the sister who goes by Jessica. Ki Tech, the father. Um, and then Chung Suk, the mother. Um, and they're, the four of them were really impressive individuals. All four of them. Like, they yeah. could all fake it until they made it, and they did it well. And it's not yeah. even like they had no credentials uh, there was the medal on the wall. Someone had like some athletic accomplishment. Was the it mom. the mother? Yeah, it was the mother. Um, and then like the sister, Ki Jung, she was really talented as an artist. She was an actor. She would go to like weddings and pretend to be guests. And it was a whole thing. And then the I couldn't even <laughs> imagine my dad just like being able to pretend he was a driver for decades and he knew every road and he could drive every car perfectly. My dad's talented, but he was never a driver. And this man was, he was a driver or he did valet, right? Right. He valeted. And so they all were like very, very impressive. But then they had, yeah, they had no opportunities. The beginning of the movie is them um, trying to find Wi-Fi so they can connect to WhatsApp so they can fold pizza boxes for money. Because that's the only work that they that's can right. find. So I, I think that the 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 main chunk of the first part of the movie is really trying to get you to root for this family and for all intents and purposes you do throughout the whole movie but then i think that as the movie kind of develops you really kind of understand like oh these people like none of them are lazy none of them are like unresourceful they're all actually like working harder than ever but also they're all kind of scumbags for the idea that they are in fact you know manipulating this other family into believing that they are competent and you know the whole the whole idea of fake it till you make it is is a good idea in concept, but also we have to be able to recognize the reprehensibility of them too. Well, and I'd like I think how could I put this? I, I think the from a moral standpoint, the peak of it all isn't just the you know the the series of murders that occur at the very end of the movie, but it also is the attitude that gets unveiled when they when when the dad. Um, when uh, when uh, Ki Tech talks to his son Ki Wu um, and says something like, uh, "You know what plan never fails? No plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No plan. Nothing goes wrong." And and he elaborates: if it all goes out of control, if you kill someone, if you what's it called? I think if you betray your country, 
none of it effing matters. You know, I mean, that's more or less mm -hmm. how he says it. So it, it, it kind of, it's almost this really nihilistic, or maybe that's not the right word, um, outlook on life that, that this guy has, but you don't see it immediately. You know what I mean? Kind of mm -hmm. like Mr. Rodriguez says, it takes a long, it takes the whole uh, movie's worth of character development to see that in in the in in the father at least yeah he he was always telling his family i have a plan i have a plan when you have a plan you're going to be successful and it seemed like he was just doing that to help his kids feel safer mm -hmm. because once they actually need a plan once their their apartment has been flooded and destroyed um the son kiwu is asking what's the plan and he's like yeah there's no plan and there's never been a plan and i'm not going to make a plan mm -hmm. um that's, yeah, that was sad. That made, that made me really sad. But like, I get why he doesn't make a plan because then you're not disappointed when you fail. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang off mm -hmm. the play. Yeah, but but it but it goes further than that. It goes it goes from okay, it's better. It goes from like it, it's better not to have a plan because then you're not disappointed. To well, almost this like postmodern deconstructivist meaninglessness yeah. uh, sense of like, eh, you know what? doesn't really none of it really matters that's quite a big jump it yeah is. that's it true is. that's true so i saw a lot of criticisms over like the end choices of the movie like why did why did mr kim um stab mr mr park and mm -hmm. I, and i think that there's a logical through line um but we haven't really even talked about the park family yet so yeah, maybe yeah we should, but so maybe we should get into them first yeah so we have mrs park the madam um who is described as young and simple, and she's like always napping. She's so dumb. I love her. <laughs> she's always <laughs> napping. She's so dramatic. The part where he tells the story about how your housekeeper has TB, but I don't want to be a gossip. She's just like, oh my goodness, don't tell my husband. And it's just, it, it reminds me of like, I can't think of the time period and I should know, but like the, 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 female character in British literature who's just like always fainting. I mean, Girl it's kind of like, yeah, like just like, oh my goodness, how could it? Um, and then you have Mr. Park, uh, who's this like tech CEO, really successful. He, his personality is, I don't know exactly how to describe him. He has this whole thing about like the separation of like yep. the help and the, the, the wealthy and he likes when the help doesn't cross the line and he hates, he does that thing with the smell when Keytech had he can smell him and he says the smell crosses the line it's like when you're in the subway it's that smell it's like the smell of the underneath and then I don't know other than that I didn't really get too much out of him because he was just kind of like he seemed just like a businessman right I don't know I kind of looked at him as probably the most com complex of the family of the of the rich family because mm -hmm. so we, we we know that well i don't want to say that the wife is isn't complex but like i said she's so dumb i love her but like <laughs> she's she's so incredibly concerned about her son and so is mr park actually um and and the daughter's kind of left off to the wayside um but when it comes to mr park I watched this. I watched this video essay about who the true parasite was because I mean, there's a reason why Bong Joon Ho named this. Right. But the the idea that the Bunker family is the, the the parasite is what's presented to us. Also, the idea of the Kim family being the parasite is presented to us. But I also think that that Mr. Park 
kind of being a parasite to not necessarily his own success. Cause I mean, there's no doubt that like he, you know, he did what he needed to do and he earned his money. Like, like no, no one's trying to say that, that like he didn't deserve wealth, but the idea of him being very matter of fact and like having this idea about crossing the line, that means that he probably had to cross the line with a lot of other people to get to the point where he was, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I read, um, how could I put this? I read something somewhere about how exactly the whole parasite metaphor goes in both directions, right? From, Mm -hmm. you know, from the kind of like what Mr. Mr. Smith described and the part where, where you consider the movie as a commentary of how the higher economic classes can be parasitic of the lower economic classes in such a way that they, you know, build their life and success on the backs of the, of, of the working poor. You, you really have to dig into it to, you know, to, um, to kind of get that from, from the movie. I mean, it is kind of apparent in some ways, but it seems like it's the, the seeing the parasitic relationship in the other direction is just a lot more in your face. Um, and so much so that I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, let's let's look at the author. Let's look, uh, rather the writer. Let's look at the director. And and that's kind of why I I had spoken to you all earlier about Snowpiercer. I you know I kind of went back and see okay what else has this guy done? And and if you if if you if you look at the writer and director's you know filmography, um, one of the movies that I had seen is the Snowpiercer movie, where the theme of that parasitic relationship of you know the 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 higher economic classes kind of taking advantage of the lower economic classes comes out really really clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think it's um, I, I don't think it's a very big stretch to say that in part. You know, this movie is about how, you know, about that particular parasitic relationship as well. I think, it, you know, I think it's definitely bidirectional in this movie. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think the Park family is parasitic to specifically in this film, the Kim family, because that's what we see. But like it, the wealthy family only gets to live the lifestyle by by like leeching off the skills of the working class. Like Mr. Park is he needs a driver. I mean, he probably, he doesn't, but he like, he works harder so he can make more money. So he gets a driver so he can work while he's driving. And like the mother lives in this home and there's a woman that lives there and does all their laundry and their cooking and their cleaning. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with paying people for services, but they, they use it to appear, to appear more wealthy. Like if they Mm -hmm. saved some money and didn't have a driver, the people in their their circle would think that oh they're they're having money problems and you know what I mean like it, it's more yeah. than just oh this would really help us because we don't have time and I want to employ someone it's like well we need this and we deserve it and I'm gonna overwork you and it doesn't matter well there there have been um, I, I think the, the 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 final scene is is pretty is a pretty good illustration of that I mean basically the entire family is in attendance to the kid's birthday party. Because they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna need you to work on the weekend, um, and don't worry, we'll be, you know, we'll we'll, we'll be paying you for it. Or um, like with the teacher uh, Jessica, or I forgot mm-hmm. where her um, her Ki-jung. actual name is, uh, Ki Jung, right? I mean, she's like, oh yeah, the, you know, our our little boy would love it if you, you know, if you attend it because you know she's she's his art teacher and like now therapist. 
Um, she's like, but you know, just kind of consider it as part of your pay. Um, and again, I don't think there's, there's, there's anything necessarily wrong with paying somebody for coming to, you know, to a weekend party, but I mean, there's this, there's this big sense of obligation. Uh, oh yeah. She didn't have that. a and, choice. Yeah. She didn't really have a choice. And, and it's the same thing with, um, with key tech. Right. Uh, and, and, and then when they finally, you know, when, 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 when it all goes violent and Ki, uh, Ki Jung is on the ground cause she's been stabbed. Um, and, uh, they, 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 you know, the, the, the father, um, uh, Dong Ik wants to take, uh, I think his, his son, right. To the hospital. Yeah. Cause he's having a seizure. Cause he's having a seizure. Um, he expects, uh, he expects, um, I get all confused with the names. Uh, he expects Key Tech to kind of drop the girl and just go with him and let her die. You know what I mean? And that just kind of illustrates, and uh, that, that illustrates the, I think that really illustrates the attitude of, you know, who is beholden to whom and why in this, you know, in this movie. And I think it, it's worth mentioning that like Key Tech doesn't, or Mr. Park doesn't know why Key Tech is like freaking out because yeah. like because Ki Jung is on the floor like bleeding out. That's a good point. He doesn't know that they're related, but also at the same time, you know, it's kind of like a half problem to a full problem. Like the whole, oh, the way that that the rainstorm affects both of the families is so beautifully <laughs> done. It like makes me sick that there's that. I've never been beaten over the head with with like a theme so hard, but I never, but I, but I don't want to complain about it if that makes sense. Like, yeah, like like John Steinbeck could never. No, I'm just kidding. But the idea that that this this rainstorm just inconvenienced the Park family for one night, but literally ruined the the Kim family's lives is. And 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 that whole scene where they're where they're like going through their house and like you know risking electrocution, trying to get the the um, wealth rock, um, and then the whole scene where like Ki Jung gets her cigarettes and like sits on top of the toilet as it's spewing sewage water. That's such like a beautiful uh, right. scene, um, it, you know, beautifully horrifying. But like just the idea that the rainstorm like disproportionately affects both families is. It was it was like one of my favorite parts of, of the whole experience. Can I say something also about you know, kind of, I, I I do in a certain sense wish that you know that the the writer director if his intention was to show that parasitic relationship in both directions, I think I I I, I wish he had shown the way that works out systemically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Structurally, because it because it really like how could I put this? Kind of like Ms. Rodriguez said. You know, you, you, you don't, I, I just, the, the direct line of how we can see how their prestige is built on the back of these, uh, of, of, of this particular family, right? Mm -hmm. how, the, how the rich family's prestige is built on the back of the, of the, of the poor family. But you can't, I think it would be more useful if you could see how the wealth of the rich family is built on the on the back of the of the poor family. And the only reason I say that um, is because it seems that that's the type of message that the director and writer wanted to give out. Right. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I do think maybe that 
I guess you have to do some more inferring than we're used to in watching yeah. films. But it reminds so my husband's reading a book about Instagram. I can't remember what it's called. Um but it's like about the founding of the the app Instagram and he was reading me a part about how when Facebook bought the app the two founders got like 400 and 100 million dollars and then Instagram's 12 employees only three of them could qualify to buy a quarter of their stocks and they had to buy it. And like basically all the the employees, the people who did a lot of work on the app walked away with no money. And there was like one specific employee that he would have had to spend $300,000 to get his quarter of the stocks, but they would have been worth like 300 million now or something, but he didn't have the money and a lawyer advised him against taking out a loan. And, you know, so it's just like, you see in that example, the founders, the, the high up, the CEOs walked away with hundreds of millions of dollars in this deal where the workers walked away with basically nothing. Mm-hmm. And we got into a conversation about, well, you know, the founders, they, they, they started the work, they did that. And then this, the, the workers, they took a risk working for a startup and like all this. But I do really think that there is you know, our economy has kind of been set up where the the people at the top make a bunch of money and the people at the bottom, yeah, they might have a, a decent job, but there's probably more wealth that could be spread out evenly than than what we see in reality. If you look, and it's been a long time since I've since I've looked at this data because well, partly because I haven't been, you know, I haven't been in in in, in court and like in an actual I haven't been taking classes in a while. But I remember a while back when I was still doing my coursework, um, I saw something that showed the progression of the disparity between the worker on the ground and what he or she makes and the CEO and what he or she makes, right? Of the average company in the United States and then in different countries and then in the world. And, and, And that gap over the last 20, 30, 40 years has widened dramatically. So, I mean, the message... Yeah, how could I put this? I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to say that there shouldn't be a difference in how much a CEO and a and a and a worker get paid. Well, you know, I, I get it. There, there, there probably should, but 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 we should consider how that difference has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the effects of and and what the effects of that difference become for the you know, for, for, for the worker, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I, I wonder if the demonstration of that disparity was just supposed to be their homes and you had to pick that up. Like the Park family right. lives in that huge, ginormous, artistic, you know, special made home from that architect. And then the Kim family lives in a semi-basement apartment where there's always drunks urinating outside their window. Right. I mean, I think that I think that comes through. But again, yeah, you have to you would have to you'd have to come at it with a pretty informed eye to get all that. Right. Yeah. I think that I think that Bong Joon-ho, if he wanted to to make a movie about how, you know, wealth disparity happens and perpetuates and subjugates on itself. I think I used I don't think I used or and subsists on itself. I think that if he wanted to do that, he could. I think that for now. Um, it's kind of what like Miss Rodriguez was saying. We have to kind of make inferences based off of that. And I think that just based off of the fact that I saw this movie and I haven't stopped thinking about wealth disparity in the last 48 hours, I think that he's kind of leaning on that. And because yeah. I mean, like just 
like a lot of people that have been tackling this from an analytical aspect of like guys there are literally stairs in the movie like like i don't know how how much how much uh more obviously could have made it for you and like every single time that that uh mr park goes up the stairs every single like there's there's always so much um because i know we don't usually talk about cinematography in this because uh, we really haven't had a, had a, mean, a reason to, but the cinematography in this movie is so incredibly poignant because just using the idea of levels. So you got the sub, you got the the uh, semi basement. You have a two story house, and then you have a bunker like under underground, mm-hmm. and just the idea that the that the Kim family works really really hard to make almost nothing. And then the Park family doesn't have to work hard anymore, and they have essentially made enough money to make their problems go away. And then the idea that there's that the bunker person where what he just didn't eat for what was it like four or five days, and like yeah. and and the way that he ate the banana was so creepy. Ugh, like <laughs> gosh. Ugh. Anyway. I think maybe right now, if you all agree, would be a good time to talk about metaphors because that's probably was- one of the biggest ones. I was yeah. gonna set that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was trying to de- decipher them, especially the the, the downstairs because, uh, um, not just the downstairs, that basement in the in the Parks house, right? Um, ironically, down there is where everything comes to light. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, uh, down in that basement is where uh, is where the 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 Kims um, realize who the you know who this previous um, housekeeper was and 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 what was actually going on and that's also where that housekeeper realizes what you know what's going on with with the with with the Kims family um, and they speak quite frankly down there right um, and then kind of up top on the on 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 the level. Um, on the kind of surface surface of the earth level, you know, there at least in that household, everybody is somehow being deceptive, or uh, or, or or in hiding, um, and yeah, I mean, I tried to I tried to kind of draw some metaphorical meaning from uh, from that, but then when I started looking uh, at the when I started looking at the criticisms online and the and the um, the analyses online you know, it reflected a little bit more of what Mr. Smith was talking about to where each staircase um, represented the distance between uh, social classes, which I think happens also in Snowpiercer, right? Yeah. Um, each gap between the, between the trains represents that same, um, that same gap in socioeconomic contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but then the other, the other thing that I thought was really cool was the uh, that that scholar's stone that yeah um, yes that 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 the, the protagonist's um, friend gives him at the very at the very beginning at first and I'll let you all kind of roll with that because um, I saw a couple of different analyses of it but my first inclination was that it was the precious like that it mm-hmm. was, you know because at some point he says it has a grip on me and. Yeah. Like it seems to kind of turn the way he is and, and influence the way he acts. Of course, it's not the thing itself; it's what it represents that's driving um, that's driving the way he acts. And one one critic said that it was that it was a representation of his will for stability, 
you know, for, for financial and, and emotional uh, stability. And, and that, 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 you know, that his obsession over that is kind of what, you know, drives him to do some of the things that, you know, he might not normally do. I think that from my perspective, because, because when I was looking into criticisms about, about especially the rock, I think it's important to note that it's not a real rock. Um, like it's almost a real rock, but it isn't a real rock, if that makes sense. Because what do you mean? So, so like, is it like a sculpture of a rock? Yes. Okay. So, and, and the reason why you know that is because in the scene where everything is like, where, where, where their house is flooded, it's floating. Oh, which yeah, means it's slightly hollow, um, hollow, which is also why Kevin or um, Kim, Kiwu. Ki- Ki- Kiwu, that's why he doesn't die whenever he gets domed by it twice in the, in the yeah. movie. Oh, I was wondering about that. Yeah. And so, and so the whole reason behind that is like that, that rock isn't real um, because if it was just like a normal stone, like, you know, him carrying that around all the, all the time, like. I mean, he does. He's not like a weak person, but that's a pretty big rock, like just to be completely solid like that. So I thought that that was an interesting thing that I realized when I was looking at the movie. So it's it's more decorative than anything, and just the idea. The very first thing he says when he picks it up is, "This is so metaphorical." Yeah, yeah. he's always it's a metaphor. And and I don't know about you guys, but I've had a lot of students that um, either haven't gotten to that point yet, where they kind of develop their own internal ph- philosophy, or they're like right on the precipice of discovering like like what are we here on this planet to do and so i think that like the reason why he's so drawn to it is because it kind of changes his internal philosophy he spends the whole movie trying to like you know scheme and plan together to make sure that his family can work a lot easier or like or i guess have a better life and even at the end, he has that, that idealistic nature that he can work really hard, get that house, and rescue his dad. But, I mean, if, if we're going to follow The Rock as a metaphor all the way through the movie, you know, he feels drawn to it. He can't let go. It feels like it's clinging to him. Like, that's his actual internal philosophy clinging to him. He, make, he has that resolution that he's going to kill both of the bunker people. And so as he's walking down, it literally jumps out of his hands and you know, sets him up for his eventual downfall and his brain damage. And then at the end of the movie, he kind of, he returns it to uh, a pond where it can look like any other rock. I don't want to get like overly complex and overly like tangential with this, but maybe the idea of him putting the rock back in is him affirming his, his idealism as being that, but also the idea that you know, it's just like anything else. It's not special because it goes from like being in the sacred box to just being in a pond with all the other stones. I can kind of see that. I can see that. I didn't really think that hard about the rock. I mean, I noticed that it popped up a lot. So obviously it was important, but I didn't, I didn't get into the rock. I did have some notes yeah. about the flood. Oh, the flood's so good. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I put it under uh, like theme because I didn't know where to put it, but like I didn't realize. So, the flood is what stood out to me the most after watching it the first time. Like it ruins the wealthy family's trip, but then it actually ruins the livelihood of the poor family. Mm-hmm. And I personally felt, you know, some, some amount of guilt at some points in this film, just because I'm no longer, you know, like the working class family, I kind of fit more with the park family and it was raining ridiculous the first time I watched it. Um, and I didn't realize it until the second time, um, I watched the film, but 
after the Kim family's been working for the Park family and they've been making more money and they're a little happier, there's a drunk man that's urinating outside the apartment. And then mm-hmm. Ki Woo gets like the, he's like, he goes out, he gets the courage to try to get him away. And then the dad also comes out. And the sister, she films it. She says in Korean, she says it's a uh, deluge, deluge, which means deluge. Deluge. a lot of water. Thank you. Yeah, which is it means a flood. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like this is like foreshadowing. Yep. Because also the brother takes the rock. He doesn't like he 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 takes the rock to go get rid of the drunk man, which is what he does to try to get rid of the bunker couple. And it like I didn't think past much of that, but the the fact that. There was all of this like foreshadowing of what's going to happen, this massive downfall of the family. I didn't get past that, but it's definitely, it definitely struck me. That's a really good point about the, about the, I, cause I didn't think about the, cause I, I know what deluge means because I play a lot of like weird video games and like, (laughs) because you know, when you have like magicians attack, they don't just say water attack. It'll be like, take this great deluge. So it's, it was very easy for me to just be like, Oh, cool. But then now that you mentioned that, Miss Rodriguez, it's very interesting. So they kind of flood that one dude and ruin his fun. And then the whole thing ruins their whole life. Well, and the thing that the thing about the, that deluge, oh, well, it is a deluge scene because there is a flood. Um, mm-hmm. But but, but the, the, the thing about like his relationship to um, to that guy who's always urinating on the on the side of the of the building, um, kind of marks something that that marks the rest of the movie. It's this like really twisted form of comedy. Like I I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever seen anything like this, uh, or at least to this extent before. I, they 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 did a, or maybe it's just a genre that I haven't exposed to, or a genre that's developing. But like I I was very much struck about how they can use so many dark themes to kind of make you laugh a little bit. You know this movie I mean? is oh, hilarious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I feel yeah. a little numerous times I was laughing out loud. Sometimes I was just, you know, mildly exhaling out of my nose, but you know. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to think of myself as a person <laughs> because some of this stuff made me laugh. I'm like, wow, this really messed up. Um, but, but it is, I, I think that, I think that that scene um, and, and, and the scene where, you know, where kind of like Ms. Rodriguez says, uh, the daughter sits on the, on the toilet bowl. that's literally erupting sewage. She's like, you know what? I'm just going to have a smoke. Um, what's it called? A lot, they, yeah. They play with that very well in a way that I wasn't, that I didn't think was possible. I also saw that, that someone noticed that, um, Ki Jung doesn't smoke in front of her parents. And I thought that was interesting because like the only two times you see her smoking a movie is when she's in the internet cafe and she's using the Photoshop. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and and that part is hilarious too, just because like, Hey, you can't smoke in here. Give me that. Okay. And then she just keeps smoking and like, it reminds me so much of our students when you tell them to do something and they're like, Oh, okay. Okay. And then you turn around, they're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, that's, and you also notice that she's hiding them because it's in the ceiling boards. Mm-hmm. And so she just kind of does that, sitting on top of her toilet as it erupts with sewage water. Beautiful scene. Could we talk a little bit about like the dramatic irony that pops up left and right in in this uh, in oh, this yeah. movie? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Go ahead. There's this. Uh, a lot of it comes from the the, the Park family, um, especially the mom, where 
you know, she's talking to, um, she's talking to Ki Jung about how, you know, the, 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 the driver hit on her and mm-hmm. uh, how he was, you know, he wanted, he wanted to drop her off at her house and, you know, stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And, um, Mrs. Park basically says, oh, you're so young and innocent. You have a lot to learn about yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. And she's like totally about to get duped and little lines like that. Um, you know, there, there's another line about, um, you know, this, this chain of recommendations is, yes. how should I yeah. put it? A chain uh, of trust. Oh yeah. my God. It's like, genius. <laughs> like I, I wanted to jump out of my skin, but that happens over and over and over and over again. And like it it's almost i mean i almost wanted to see the characters you know break you know break the what is it called the third wall or the fourth wall and look at the you know and look at the look at the audience and say are you getting this yeah Yeah. Um, because some of it is so so like blatant i mean i think that the wife is probably my favorite character in the movie because i think that she has the most to do well i I, well hang on i don't want to say that because i think that mr kim also has a lot to do if we're still because we're still talking about symbols right and metaphors sure okay yeah (laughs) so let's go literary elements how about that okay literary elements so let's talk about mr kim and the powder keg that explodes at the end of the movie uh so of course there's the whole thing about like poor people smelling bad but the idea of that realization that he smells bad because he's poor is already pretty dehumanizing. But having heard that secondhand while next to your children mm-hmm. is like like being like no one no one likes being called a loser, but imagine being called a loser in front of the people that you're trying to convince you're not a loser. Ugh. Uh, and so because of that, uh, and actually the scene right right before that, be before the uh, parks get home. Um, the wife kind of like jokingly calls him a cockroach and he gets like upset and he like pretends to, to hit her and everyone's like, Oh, what's, what's going to happen. But then he's like, I'm just kidding. But you could tell it did kind of strike a strike a chord with him. And I thought that it was also interesting. Cause if you, if you think about that scene where they do get out of the house and they like successfully sneak out, they're walking around very inhuman, like, like they're hiding under tables like where it's mm-hmm. dark and they can't be seen. And then like when they have a chance, they kind of like slink out, like especially uh, Kevin or Ki-Yoon um, does. And I was Ki-woo. like, oh man, Ki-Woo, yes. And I was like, oh man, like they're, they're, they're trying to make themselves inhuman, uh, almost like other, almost like alien, almost like cockroach. So. Well, and then, and then um, Mr. Kim, Ki-Tech, the dad, he's, when he's sliding out, and the, the little boy in the tent wakes up and so he pauses. You can see that his feet are really dirty. And then I think I think there's like an overhead shot. I don't know anything about actual film, so I can't really describe it well. But when he's like sliding out, you just see his feet come into the shot and there's they're black. They're super dirty. Of course, like of course his feet are dirty, and of course he kind of smells. He like lives in a semi-basement apartment and they take the subway and all that sort of stuff. But they're also running around their house barefoot. So that means that the park's house is dirty. At the very end, when um, Kitek, you know, stabs uh, Mr. Park, I mean, they give you the impression. I forgot what had happened right, right before. But you get the impression that there was a bunch of buildup 
that led him to to do that suddenly like almost as if he himself didn't know that he you know that he was going to do it until right then and there it was uh, it was when mr mr park is shouting at him to like drive their little boy to the hospital and then he's staying there with um his daughter ki jung and so mr park realizes he's not going to come so he's just like throw me the keys and he ends the keys end up under the old housekeeper's husband who's been in the bunker for four years. And so when Mr. Park right. goes to get the keys, he, he smells him and makes a face. And that's what causes right. tech to go kill him. Well, and I think what, I think what happens is, and of course, you know, I want to be clear, I'm not condoning any of this activity, <laughs> um, but I think, but I think what happens is, you know, at that moment, it brings him back to a bunch of other ways in mm -hmm. which he's been demeaned by this man, including, and I'm really glad you mentioned this, Mr. Smith, including that moment, you know, where he's hiding under the table and uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Park is talking smack about the, the way that he smelled. Because that, you know what, I, I, I did not think of it from that perspective, you know, of being a dad, suddenly being demeaned uh, in front of your own children. I, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I remember, yeah. I remember I, when I was in college, um, I went to a party with, you know, a bunch of friends and uh, a friend of a friend came along with us, right? And he was from a very wealthy family and we walked into this party um, hosted by, you know, one of my college friends. And this guy said, oh, it smells like poor in here. And oh my goodness. Like I, I, I just, I, how could I put this? I couldn't believe that that attitude existed. I guess I hadn't come across it like that oh, at yeah. any point in my life before, but, but that, that attitude exists. Like, you know, the, it's not just the smell of, you know, he's, he, he clearly wasn't just talking about, you know, the, Oh, it smells like, you know, Doritos in here, or it smells like this. No, <laughs> no, he, 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 he wanted to make it a point to say that the human beings in here, <laughs> um, what's it called? Don't smell like the type of human beings that I should be hanging out with. Um, and I think that's kind of part of, you know, it's part of what's at play with uh, with this guy because kind of like you said, you know, he he considered it to be a criteria for firing this guy. You know, instead of maybe saying something like, "Hey, bro," <laughs> you know. Um, I don't like the way you smell or yada, 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 or no, 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 yeah. this guy, this guy's like, no, I'm going to fire him for smelling poor. Also, if, if, if we're talking more about like, like why Mr. Kim made the choice to stab him, like not only that, but I think that Mr. Kim is also nuanced enough and uh, well-read enough to understand that uh, doing a, a, like, and, and this is another kind of like, I guess, semi-metaphor uh, that Bong Joon-ho talked about, but the idea that that the wealthy son's obsession is Native American culture, and oh yeah, uh, and they're having a birthday party at a place where someone else already lives and lived there before they got there, and they're relegated to the bunker. This movie's got this movie's this movie's like an ogre or an onion because it's got a lot of layers. <laughs> well, there, there was reference. another. There was, <laughs> there's another instance of, of, of dramatic irony um, that's kind of related to that. And somebody says, some, somebody who belonged to the, to the Park household, um, well, whatever, however you want to characterize belonged, somebody in the Park family says something like, 
uh, ghosts, because they were talking about how the kid used to see a ghost in the house and it becomes mm -hmm. very evident that that ghost was the previous housekeeper's, uh, what's it called, um, the previous house housekeeper's um, husband. But she says something like, I'm trying to remember, um, they say a ghost in the house brings wealth. Well, I was like, holy moly, <laughs> like... Um, and then, you know, not too long after that, well, all that, you know, all that bad stuff happens, but it's, it's crazy. Um, and I think, I think the writer plays really, really well. With yeah. That. Also, like if, if you go and look at like the online discussions, I, I think I saw this one on Reddit and the, the, uh, top comment, uh, of this movie is, uh, it's a quote and someone's like, she always ate enough food for two. And someone's like, Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that, sure. that that was what uh, Mr. Park said about the old housekeeper, right? Mm -hmm, that was his only mm -hmm. criticism of her. Yeah. She, she always she ate always enough, enough for two. two. Um, also, well, while we're talking I'm, I'm about that, like, ghost scene, okay, I don't watch horror movies. Like, I don't like being scared. <laughs> that is the, like, that, like, that one shot. Because you, you can only see, because the way that they... Oh, this movie is so beautiful. But the way that the that the basement is, like, framed... It's yeah. like so dark and you can't see anything in it. And the inside, yeah. But like it, it focuses on it and like this whole shot can't be longer than like 10 seconds. But but you can like you look at it and you don't see anything. And then you like you look a little bit like longer and you see the like top of his head and his eyes are white. And I nightmares. Nightmares. Like well, they cast they cast that guy very well. You know what I mean? Like he he, he that guy's an excellent actor. Yeah. Um, like the the, in, the 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 expressions are on his face are he does well at looking crazy. Yeah. Um, the bunker but, uh, husband is he's just supposed to be suffering from like isolation, right? He's not actually like he feels kind of like something's going on. Is it just isolation? So in in his in his room, um, there were a bunch of law books. And a bunch of um, like, and so it's it's because I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but the idea that there are all those law books in in the bunker in his room specifically, we can like we can infer. I guess if you know the uh, Korean culture, you, you can infer that he was trying to take the law enforcement officer job, but didn't, but but like failed, and eventually just got too old to to do it. So he's like essentially given up on life. That's why he's so keen to like you know worship mr park and and i love that whole like that that part during during the like brutal killing where he's like respect mr park he's like you know who i am <laughs> like <laughs> and and maybe i was looking into it a little like because i do have a tendency to be tangential with my thinking but i mean the, the the whole reason why the bunker exists is because of um of fear of north korea like mm -hmm. attacking them and so during that scene where where we meet the husband for the first time and he's like he's got all these pictures of him and he doesn't like he he lives in like a literal like sewer almost and like he 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 lights up he, he literally lights up his life and all this stuff like talking about like you feed and you clothe me I love you I respect you I was like is this Bong Joon-ho like saying something about North Korea without actively saying something about North Korea cuz he even has that like scene right after that or no I think it's a little bit later where um the the Kim family's tied up and so then they're like they're like oh doing, yeah the detonator 
Yeah, and and they're like doing and they're doing like examples of like North Korean propaganda news. I thought that was all very interesting, huh. but the movie doesn't linger on it long enough for it to like really garner a lot of discussion. But I definitely think that it was worth talking about. Maybe it's just Why the not? cultural context of South yeah. Korea that might be things they have conversations about. Maybe. Right. And this is a useful detail for uh, for listeners, especially if those listeners happen to be our students. Um, a lot of what we say on here is kind of a thought experiment. In other words, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, Mr. Rodriguez, um, Ms. Ramirez and I, as we're discussing it, we're trying to figure out this movie sometimes as, you know, as we're going along. Um, that's not to say that we don't take seriously the things that we say on this podcast. However, some of, you know, some of what we say is really kind of, you know, trying to figure out um, if our line of thinking really applies to this movie or not. Um, and in that sense, sometimes this podcast can be a little bit of a work in progress. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, but for sure. That's true. That just on a side note, um, I, I was talking to my husband about this podcast and he said, like, I would never do something like this because I'd be so afraid that like my words would be like just taken like it. That's what I believe 100%. But yeah, for sure. We're definitely like thinking out loud, thinking through a lot of things. Nothing is nothing set in concrete. Oh, totally. Like, I think <laughs> what's it called? I, how could I put this? <sighs> yeah, I'm, I am a little paranoid about it sometimes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a so rough sad. draft. It's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a thinking we would have done with our students in the classroom. And that's really it's where it stemmed from. There you go. Yeah, the, I think it's a good way of, uh, of thinking about it. It's like it's like pre-writing. You're trying to get your, your ideas together on a subject. Um, this podcast is sponsored by pre-writing. Hey, did you ever think you could get something right the first time? You're wrong. Pre-write. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, any other thoughts about characters or metaphors or symbols? We almost forgot the daughter, the rich daughter. And that's oh, yeah. because the family does too. I did that on purpose. Um, so that's, that's also why she's so into the tutors. And like, why she oh, like, man. like latches on to anyone, and she's like, you know, you know, the song is faking it. You know, I don't really believe in his mental illness. I think that my mom is just like worried that like she can't control him, which is a whole like meta commentary on another thing too. But I think it's interesting that both both the uh, mom and the dad do not pay any attention to the daughter. Like they ask, they ask the um, is it Chung Sook? Uh, they ask her uh, her to make Ramdon, which is insane oh yeah which which is insane um for a reason that, that we can get into later but um she asked to make it just for the son and then like she eats it when he didn't want it and then the daughter's like i like it too but she just goes to sleep that's a, that's the thing with like parenting because so she has a son who is very rambunctious and is difficult to you know control in the sense of him being like sitting and being obedient um but also he has the that seizure he had the seizure when he saw the husband in the bunker. Um, so he has like a real physical thing that was probably very terrifying. She tells the story that her husband was away on business. She was alone. She had 15 minutes to get to the hospital. Um, but like, I have a very rambunctious son. And there are moments where I think like, am I ignoring my daughter? Because she'll just sit and play by herself where like I have to entertain my son. It's easy to fall into, especially like, cause the mother thinks that he's like this what did they say trap genius or what kind of genius some sort of genius that yeah. like it's just like we just we hit, art therapy will bring out his genius instead of like well he just really likes running around and playing like a native american what do you think a native american is i cannot explain how much how how like 
how into like taking her seriously I was at the beginning of the introduction of her character. But then like by the time we got to the art therapy, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh you have you're you're a, you're like a Korean Karen is what it is. Are we allowed to say that? Well, the 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 daughter, um, the hey, yeah, she um, I mean, one of the how can I put this? One of the things that drives Kiwoo to kind of even cling more sharply to this to this ideology and to this dream um, of making it out is his relationship to her because at some point it looks like he kind of falls in love with her and he says yeah. like if I can get um, you know he says he says next year I'm going to get into the university and as soon as I do that I'm going to ask her out um, and I'm not saying that that's the only role she plays in it, but I think that that, that, that relationship kind of moves along a little bit of the intensity uh, with which he like holds to that ideology, holds to that hollow rock, uh, if you will. I might overreach here when I say that I think that Kevin dates her out of spite. Because... I think that's a status thing, right? Because his university yeah. friend liked her and he's like, well, I can be just as like successful as him. Hmm. exactly and and because and he even says he's like i don't want her dating some like like these like these like frat boys out of college like she's better than that and you know i'm gonna have you well, tutor because you're not a threat that brings up um when if you if you know i'm i'm sure all of us kind of touched on some type of like cultural studies within our college education within our yeah, within our, our university education. And one of the things that comes up when, when, when talking about like structures of either exploitation or oppression is that the, the stratification, you know, like this idea that one particular social class or economic class is above another, which is above another, um, that that replicates itself in the minds of everybody in the process, not just the oppressors. In other words, it's not just the rich people who think in these stratified hierarchical terms, but you can kind of start seeing it in, in the attitudes of, you know, of, of the quote unquote lower classes. I mean, so much so that, you know, the, 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 the son is, is kind of trying to acquire for himself if we're not overreaching, it seems like he's trying to acquire for himself some type of a status symbol by maybe dating this girl, unless he's truly in love with her. But the other place where you see it really clearly, where there's, I don't think any ifs, ands, or buts about it, is when um, when Mrs. Kim is talking to the to the previous um, what's it called to the previous housekeeper and they kind of start put each, putting each other down socially. In other words, they start mm -hmm. looking down on each other because of their social station, when in fact, they should know better, right? When in fact, both of them have been in similar situations, it seems. Both of them have, not, not just professional situations, but both of them have been put in similar, like, difficulty of situations, yet they're both really quick to kind of almost label each other in terms of in, in terms of their of their social and economic positioning, I mean, they're they're basically both willing to push each other further down the staircase. If I could use mm -hmm. a little bit of that metaphor, like when when she says like I'm like aren't you needy just like me? She's like I'm not needy like you because no one yeah. that is poor wants to be told that they're poor. No one that's stupid wants to be told that they're stupid. And so, <laughs> oh. 
when I think about like the amount of people that get upset about the six hundred dollars uh, of like unemployment benefits going to certain people, when in actuality, like they were pumping like a, I think a trillion dollars a day into the Nasdaq to make sure that like the stock market didn't completely crash, and like thousands of, of corporate well not thousands hundreds of corporations got a bunch of money through like the like ppp loans whereas like we're going to have like mass evictions and probably like a month from now oh like it's 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 exasperating it, it's too poignant and exhausting to even like to get how much how much people would rather fight with people less than them than instead fight with people that are above them but if you buy and, and and that's kind of that's kind of part of the point. If you if you believe um, if you believe in the way that systems of oppression are structured, even if they're not structured with with intention, um, one of the this is one of the essential parts of it. In other words, it very much works to maintain the status quo. To maintain a structure of of disenfranchisement, um, when you when you get everybody in the structure to buy into the stratification, in other words, when you, in other words, it helps to keep people down when you are able, or when the system itself is able to to convince everybody in the system that this stratification, this way of ranking people, is the way that it should be, um, and. And, and it seems from the comments that these two ladies make to each other that they both buy in to the idea that this is the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm wrong about that. Or at least I'm wrong about my reading of, of the movie that way. No, I, th I, think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I agree. I think, I think that transitions as well to the universal theme of the selection and specific scenes that contribute to the message. I didn't have like a like a really good theme statement written like I would ask my students, but it was kind of I had some ideas about the fact that like the system, the economic system, the hierarchies like you were talking about, Mr. Santos, we've just become parasitic. We found ways to just take advantage of others to help ourselves ourselves like climb up that staircase. And it doesn't really matter what you do in the process of your your own pursuit of wealth. And like you just you see with the stone, the stone brings wealth. The ghost brings wealth. This like constant conversation about bringing wealth into the family. And then I was going to talk about the the old housekeeper and this idea that like they just want to be above the other person and put down the other person so they can climb up higher. And I think I think that's what the director was trying to get at that we're working against each other so much and it's keeping the system in place, which is really keeping the top at the top, like the parks, the parks are always going to stay at the top because the bottom is fighting over like second place. Mm -hmm. One of the things that makes this movie, and I'm kind of using the, the words of one of the critics of it, painfully uh, realistic is this idea that kind of, I think and I mentioned this in our Knives Out episode, nobody comes out. I think that in a truly good story, nobody comes out morally unscathed. Like, Everybody is shown to be uh, for, you know, for what they are. And what's it called? I, I think one of the themes here, one of the, one of the very smaller themes is something like lies, lies lead to worse. You know, if you start engaging in deception, it's going to lead to like much worse, con 
you know, much more drastic consequences than that. However, they play that, how could I put this? They play that theme out in the context of, well, what happens when you lie out of desperation because you need to, you know, you need to advance economically in life so that you could survive and so you could provide your kids a, a you know, a good education. Um, and, and, and what happens, at least according to this movie, is tremendously tragic. Um, but, you know, but, but like I said, no, you know, I, I, I think that despite the fact that, you know, that the, the, the Kims are put in a very difficult, uh, life situation, even then, you know, who are, who, who are portrayed as the oppressed in the, in the movie, um, don't, do not come out, uh, morally clean. Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree because you would think that the people who are being oppressed would try to work together, would try to like find a solution. But all they do is just like claw over each other. And they, yeah, they have this idea that like someone's got to be at the bottom. It's just not going to be me at all costs. I can already hear a lot of my own friends who, who, who I guess, you know, intellectually stand further to the left of me saying like, you know, uh, why are you espousing this, you know, this narrative of, of, you know, of putting those who are oppressed in a, you know, in a negative light. Well, I, th- I, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it, I, I think it further begs the question, what conditions are creating a situation where you would get a family who loves each other and wants the best for each other to resort to something so highly immoral, right? I don't want to. Say, I don't know if you could call it a thematic question, <laughs> but uh, but I, I think that's. I think those are. That's one of the questions that that um, that this movie uh, might lead the audience to. I think that just just by looking at the at the like one when, when, when the dust clears, all of the all the different levels kind of sh- kind of show their their, I guess their their loss. So the Park family lost their the the husband right the kim family loses i would i would essentially say the ed daughter and the dad because i mean he's now he's 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 now moved down because of what he had tried to do or because of what he got fed up with and then um the bunker family is just like completely dead and so yeah. i would i would venture to say i mean we've we've seen We've seen this in Of Mice and Men. We've seen this in like The Great Gatsby. We've seen this in a lot of things. Like the idea that you can accumulate wealth and jump up to a new, like, I guess, like strata of living, it's not instant and it's not, and it's not like without morally reprehensible activities, I think, that are done. And I don't want to say that because, like, what you can, you can go from, you know, I guess you could like live in poverty get a scholarship to like med school, become a doctor. And then all of a sudden you've gone from like poor to rich, but that's like what a one in 100,000 chance that that's possible with all the resources that you have. Cause even then like people with, with, with like minimal resources can't really do anything about that. People with some resources use those re- resources, try to get more resources. And then people with a lot of resources and more than they need exploit other people that don't have those resources to continue to get more resources. There's nothing wrong with trying to gain more, more wealth in the sense of I'm trying to support my family and better my life. I guess it's just the question is like, when do you stop? 
Right. One of the things that, that we haven't really talked that much about is kind of the invisibility of the structure. I mean, I also don't want to, as, as much as I like it when narratives reveal the flaws in everybody in the narrative, not just, you know, the simple good guy, bad guy thing, um, to a certain extent, the structure and what's happening, you know, the, the kind of stru structures of, of, of marginalization and oppression are kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not apparent. Um, it seems, you know, it, it always seems to be at just the way things um, are. So, yeah, to a, what's it called? To a certain extent, the parks don't 100% know what they're doing either. I don't, I don't, I don't think that Mr. Park sits in his, in his office every day and thinks like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, this and this to accumulate more wealth and it and this is having you know xyz effect on uh, on people who have less money than i do i i i mean it's kind of hard you can't necessarily get that far into his character's mind but i but i suppose that that's not part of uh his thought processes however we all do have uh i think a you know a duty as good humans to kind of open our eyes a little bit see what's around ourselves and make you know make life for each other a, a little bit better i mean like if 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 i can connect to a theme that or if i can connect what we're talking what, what mr santos just said to another theme like with inter intertextuality um the end of season three of community my favorite show um has the has the main character saying like the 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 uh, truth the like hilarious glaringly obvious truth is that only helping yourself is bad and helping other people is good. But so many people are used to just not doing that, that it kind of has created this, these huge systemic issues. I mean, it's kind of like what, what you said, Mr. Santos, like Mr. Park doesn't think about like how all of his actions are necessarily, you know, making other people's lives worse. I mean, I think that they kind of already did a pretty good job of, of showing it, but the fact that the Park family asked the Kim family to go to an impromptu birthday party that they just put together with like 15 minutes after they just lost every single one of their personal belongings. I mean, that just kind of shows it right there. Like just, just the idea that the people um, expect, or they, they have a certain amount of expectations and depending on where you are in the economic strata, they might be uh, more exploitative or less exploitative. So I made a lot of personal connections and I think I mentioned it earlier when I watched it, I kind of felt guilty because I definitely fall into like the park family. We're not, my husband is not a tech CEO or anything. Um, Might as well be. No, he's exaggerating. <laughs> he works for a very large corporation and there are many, there are many staircases for him to climb to get to CEO. But, um, but I do, I definitely do sometimes have to think about like, we've gotten to the point where we can pay for services. Like we can pay for a housekeeper, not in the sense that the parks have just like once a month, a person can come and clean our house. And, um, we, we, before the pandemic, because not everybody uses curbside, it seems it was never a question of the, the extra charge, you know, paying five bucks and like 2% higher on the, the items for your groceries. And there are times where, Oh, and then we get our lawn done. Like there, there are things we've, we've decided, and we have to question, like, are we doing this because we truly don't have time? And are we paying them a fair wage? Are they, you know, like, is this company that we're going through treating them well? Or are we just, like, acting like these 
rich people who think they deserve the world. And it, it's hard because like you said, Mr. Santos, you don't, Mr. Park isn't sitting there thinking, oh, I'm exploiting the working class through my company. And so you do have to be really conscious of what you're doing. And sometimes I don't know, like I want to think that I'm doing the right thing. Um, but I guess I don't know. Personally, we have decided, we put it in our budget. We start, we rearranged it. We did it this month. We're donating um, a certain amount of money each month and we're splitting it. And my husband and I, we choose our own place that we donate to. And we try to do our research and donate to a place that we think will really help as many people as possible. And so, I'm, you know, I guess we just have to try to help as many people as possible, but it's hard. It is hard. Well, yeah, I mean, what's it called? You, you have to, you do have to, t people do have to take care of themselves. Um, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Uh, and, and, uh, and take care of others to their best of the ability. I mean, it, it, I, when I, when I finished, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it in a previous podcast, but when I finished college, I was a volunteer teacher in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. uh, which is right next to India. It's a small country right next to India. I mean, it becomes very, very apparent how difficult a lot of people's lives are. If you just walk out on the street, I mean, the amount of homelessness in that country, at least in the capital city of Dhaka, where I lived for like six or nine months, if I remember how long it was. Um, you know, there, there are people like literally lining the, the, the sidewalks on any given sidewalk in the neighborhood that I lived in, um, just, you know, sleeping on sidewalks. Um, and you get a, you get a very very clear sense of how much the average worker makes there because of how many, for example, rickshaw drivers. A rickshaw is kind of like this, um, it's, 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 like a, it's like a bike with a little cart in the back. So these guys, then um, there's, there's, I mean, thousands and thousands of them all over the city. It's, it has to be the most common profession. Um, these guys, have their rickshaw and if you don't have enough money to to you know rent a taxi or something you can get on the rickshaw for like i mean pennies like it, it's really inexpensive and uh the you know this this man will will basically bike you to wherever you want to go now i later found out that those guys for as little as they make and i'm i mean uh, it's it's fractions of a dollar for this ride they have to give a big old commission of that or a big old chunk of that to the owner of the rickshaw. So essentially these, these men are living day to day uh, by, you know, by being rickshaw drivers um, and barely affording a little bit of rice to eat. Well, I say that whole long story because at the, at the very, you know, at the very end of this all my time there, I flew back you know, from Bangladesh to the United States, my dad picked me up at the airport in Houston. And uh, uh, right when we get on the highway, my dad says, hey, I have to get some gas. So we stop at a gas station and he asks me, or he tells me, just get whatever drink you want and I'll, you know, I'll get it. So, you know, I go and I open the big old refrigerators and I, I go for a Coca-Cola, like just a regular old Coca-Cola bottle. And I forgot what it was at that time, but it was like a buck 45. And it took me back to the rickshaw drivers and I calculated in my mind because I knew the exchange rate and I knew how much these guys were making. And I don't remember the exact number, but I was looking at that Coca-Cola representing several days worth of wages for these guys. And I couldn't buy the Coke because of it. Like I had a difficult time buying a Coke for a while um, mm -hmm. because of it. I mean, I'm sure that there were other things that I was buying that, you know, that I should have yeah. had my moral qualms about, but for some reason or another, 
Coca-Cola, like having a Coke, which I, you know, which I didn't have a lot of when I was over there, um, really kind of brought it to the fore. And it, 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 it took me a while to readjust my mindset to think that it was okay to engage in the lifestyle that I had previously had. Um, because it is okay, right? However, you should also, however, it also led me to kind of question some of the practices and question some of the, some of the ways that I live my life because that lifestyle impacted other people and not everybody, not everybody else has access to it. Um, it was difficult. I, I, I was, it was a, it was a very difficult moment in my life. I, I was, I was, I was lucky enough to travel a lot when I was in college since I did Mala UN. Um, I've been to the Galapagos Islands, I've been to Ecuador, I've been to Brazil. And what's really interesting about Ecuador is that they use American currency and everything is extremely cheap there. Um, and like, I, I used to like, like joke around with my wife, like if we ever won the lottery, we could like, we could donate half of it, move to Ecuador and we could live like kings for the rest of our lives. Kings and queens. You know. But, <laughs> but the, the whole idea of like wealth disparity, I mean, it perpetuates so many, so many uh, different problems and issues. But um, I think that I probably realized it most when, when I was in uh, the last model UN conference I did was in Brazil and we had a layover in Rio de Janeiro and it was like an eight hour layover. So our political science professor told us that we could, um, we could leave the airport and go to the redeemer statue, which is, as you guys know, is the giant statue of Jesus and, um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. on, on top of the mountain, and so it's it's a pretty like like if you if you get there at the right amount of time, um, it's very cheap to just kind of go up, uh, take t- take like a shuttle up there, get your pictures, get whatever souvenirs you want, and then kind of go home. The only issue was um, we missed, and and I'm putting this in air quotes, we uh, missed the actual shuttle to do that because we got caught by um, by a tourist trap first. And these guys were like, "Oh, don't don't, don't do that. The like shuttle is like closed. They they can't even help you today. I'm sorry about that. So like, we'll take you up there for like for like a, for like less money." And so, um, me and three other students, we we kind of like follow this guy down the street of Rio de Janeiro. And like, when, whenever I say it out loud, I'm like, "It's a miracle that not, that none of us just got like you know killed or anything." But. Um, we, we, we probably go down a couple of different alleyways and it's like the middle of the afternoon, probably like six o'clock. Uh, and I think our flight leaves at nine and eventually we, we, we do get like surrounded by like people, but it turns out they're all just walking. So we end up going to the car and we drive up to the redeemer statue and the guy's like, all right, we will, we will wait here for you and we'll take you back to the airport and you owe us whatever amount of money it was. And that w- it was like pretty much almost all of our money, and so we had to like budget our 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 funds for like going up there and taking like pictures or whatever. So we go up there. The, the Redeemer statue is beautiful. We get back and he's gone. And so oh. yeah, so we were like stranded there at first. But what was good was I think that he had floated the idea of us paying him half then after he dropped us off, and then half after he dropped us off at the airport. But. Um, my friend that I was with at the time didn't do that because I think that we had given him all of our money and so he didn't pay him. And so by the time we got back, he was gone. So we essentially got a ride there for free, but we were stranded now in the middle of Rio de Janeiro with the sun about to go down. And then there was a bunch of like, I want to say like, not, not like real taxi drivers, but like almost like, like Uber drivers before they were Uber drivers. Cause they were like standing out there with their cars 
and we were like, we're asking like, hey, can you give us a ride to the airport? And they could definitely tell we were American. And the guy was like, no, oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. Like just kind of like basically telling us like go away. And then we're like, well, how much can we pay you to do that? And he was like, I don't know, 300 real. And we're like, all right, fine. At, at that point, it was a little bit over what – no, I think it was it was less than the money we were supposed to give to the other guy. But that guy was, like, super surprised because I think he was definitely just giving us, like, an amount of money that he probably would get working all day. And we just were like, all right, here, take this and get us back to the airport. And so we were able to get there and back. But I still think about that time a lot because – you can look up a lot of videos of like people in Brazil just getting mugged or straight up murdered for their items. And, you know, that happens in a, in a lot of other countries too. But the whole reason why, why, why crime is perpetuated is because of wealth disparity. I mean, the whole reason why the, why the Kim family exploits the Park family is because, I mean, they're all hard workers, but, you know, meritocracy is not a real thing. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like when you look at crime statistics, it's always in lower income areas. Crime is driven by like the the need for just like the basics, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People Mm -hmm. are going to do terrible things just for shelter and for food and for safety. Yeah, it's not just because they want to commit crimes or anything like that. And and kind of the experience that I discussed before, what it taught me is, it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily my fault, right? I did not set up the structure that allowed for a slew of rickshaw drivers to b- virtually perpetually um, live, uh, you know, a day to day from paycheck to paycheck, essentially, right? From day to day, and I have a college education and became a teacher. However, it's also just as important for me and everybody else to realize that we not we don't just live, but we also participate mm-hmm. in the system that allows that to happen. Correct. Right? So Correct. although we are not, I don't think that most people are personally culpable for the plight of others. I don't think it's that simple. I do think that we need to recognize that we benefit from the system that keeps that in play. And insofar as we benefit from it, then it is our, you know, is our personal duty to try to influence that one, that 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 system in a way that makes it easier for those who are having difficult times, um, because it's very easy to fall into guilt this way, and it's very easy to point fingers mm-hmm. um, at uh, at people, right, or at entire classes or whatever. Um, when I don't think that the situation is so cut and dry, right. Um, but but it, but it, at the same time, it's very easy to, you know, remove all blame for, from ourselves and saying, well, you know, I didn't make it happen, so it's not my fault. Well, that's true. However, you do benefit from it. Therefore, you do hold a little bit of responsibility to try to change things. It's kind of like when I think about Amazon and Jeff Bezos, the fact that we have a company that set up Jeff Bezos as the world's wealthiest person by far. I looked up. He's worth 113 billion dollars after he gave after he gave his wife 36 billion dollars in their divorce. And I mean, he he's a self-made man. He started a business and he grew it and it's become more than, you know, he probably ever imagined. But the fact of the matter is, is he's profiting during this current pandemic when so many people are losing their jobs, losing their health insurance, losing their homes. And 
I don't know the solution to Jeff Bezos and Amazon and I don't know it. I mean, me canceling my prime subscription isn't going to change anything. Um, But I do think we should pay attention to maybe lawmakers and politicians and the conversations they have around this. And when we when we vote, when we participate in elections, maybe think about the fact that there is a way to to ensure that. Jeff Bezos isn't just going to accumulate more and more and more and more wealth. Mm -hmm. And you have all these people who are still unemployed. Um, I haven't been watching any of the antitrust hearings. I haven't I haven't been watching it. Um, I probably should pay attention to who's talking about what and stuff and see. I don't know what is a possibility, but there's got to be something. There's no way that Jeff Bezos is just going to make all the money in the world and we're going to be left with nothing. Right. And I, and I think that, like, it's important because I think that Mr. Santos kind of hit the nail on the head with the idea that, that like, we're all participating in a system that, I mean, exploits a lot of people. Um, and I think that some people have that cognitive dissonance and that disconnect between, like, well, if I say anything bad about, about how things are now, then I will seem ungrateful. But I think that the, like, the important thing is that I, I really don't like how, especially recently... Um, a lot of conversations and arguments have devolved into binaries. Like you're either this or this, or you either believe in that or believe in that. And I just think that, you know, in a world where, you know, we're talking about humans who make what an average of a hundred thousand decisions every single day, just living. Like, I think that, you know, just the idea that there's two correct choices, it's pretty reductive to how we deal with life in general. I think it's important to kind of understand that, yes, we are participating in something, but there are things that we can do to kind of influence, like, you know, set aside money to donate, vote, carry on these, these discourses of, uh, with, with our own opinions, because, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of things that need to be done, but I also don't think that anyone should like paralyze themselves with, with like how horrible things are. Uh, I know that the, the term doom scrolling is kind of, uh, going around uh, especially in the teacher discourse now but the idea that like people just kind of check their feeds and like they just get sadder and sadder and like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deny that i'm immune to it i've been mad since march but like also at the same time i have to kind of keep in mind that yes i'm upset but there's also things that i can do about it and there's I, i'm not gonna have all this knowledge without also trying to spark my own joy or try to find joy in my life because I think that that's important. Like we can't, we can't just like subsist on everything that's wrong and just be like, Oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. But like, I think at the same time, we also have to realize that we individually are not responsible for every single problem that has been caused. So it's not our personal individual responsibility to fix it. But I think if there's like, you know, if you can lend a helping hand to one cause or two causes or three causes, without losing your sanity, I think that that's worth looking into. I think you bring up a really, really good point, especially with, uh, you know, with kind of the, the dooms. What did you call it, Mr. Smith? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. Uh, and, and, and not to, well, not to tout our superintendent, but I, I, he, he made a very similar comment in one of his addresses to, um, to us recently saying like, hey, if you know that you're the type of person that needs to disconnect just for a little bit from, uh, you know, from social media because of the of the feelings of anxiety and depression that it causes you. Then do it, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with kind of taking a you know a breather for yourself from the rest of the world. That does that doesn't mean 
you know, that, that doesn't mean that you should disconnect yourself from everything that's happening forever and just become ignorant, but you do have to take care of yourself and you do have to take care of your mind. Um, yep. and, and I like what you said about the, you know, kind of the binary um, way in which our society has structured our views. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of it plays along uh, political party lines. Um, a lot of it plays on, uh, along a bunch of different lines. But yeah, we, you know, as, as a society, we, we feel cornered into either taking one stance or another on something and, and, and kind of staying there without realizing the shades between you know, between both stances. But it is important that we able to, we be able, we, that we are able to be intellectually flexible enough to see the nuances in, in our social life, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and as that pertains to this, to this particular movie, we should be able as thinking, rational human beings and members of this world society, we should be able to have enough intellectual flexibility to say things like, I am not directly responsible for the plight of every single character in this movie, and neither is Mr. Park. However, I or he does participate in the system uh, and benefits from the system that keeps these people down. Um, and I think, uh, I, I, think, I think you make, make a really good point in, in, in kind of warning people against the binary thinking that it's either, either Mr. Park is 100% responsible for it or Mr. Park is completely innocent of it. That's just not how the world works. Mm -hmm. A connection in a direction that I don't normally go into, um, but we talk about like the system, the hierarchy and uh, where everybody falls in between. So I read uh, an older book. I read Brave New World. I never Ooh. read it in high school or college. And that's most of, mostly because my college literature classes were more contemporary, but I was like, I'm going to read Brave New World because we had a copy at the house. And I thought it, the book was, well, I mean, modernism is a little strange. Um, but there is a there is a series on Peacock. It's new. Um, and you can get the first two episodes for free. I yes, like really guess... mm -hmm. is, is Is it the novel about... Um... Is it the one about like that dystopian society where like reproduction is controlled? Yeah. So reproduction okay. is controlled and everybody's des designated as like an alpha beta. Like they have a whole system and you fall, you automatically fall into the hierarchy and they actually biologically engineer people and then condition them to want to be in the place where they are. And to think that like the social body society needs that system to function. And so the novel itself is interesting. If someone, if you're someone who likes dystopian societies, I think it's a cool one to read because I don't think many teachers teach it. I think maybe I've seen some English to pre-AP classes cover it. Um, but it's really interesting if you are like looking for a more like modern take on it, um, Peacock, the new uh, streaming service from NBC, has uh, an original series, and they they went in a completely different direction with like the plot line, and I, I think they did a a lot of improvements. It is a little um, there's some adult content in it, so just be aware. But I like I like the the idea of exploring a society where it's not just we have a system that's invisible that we function within. It's a it's a society where the system, the hierarchy, is necessary to its success, and everybody just like eats it up and loves it. It's really interesting. Hmm. I've heard people tout out this type of rhetoric. I, okay, so as an ESL teacher, I am the teacher of uh, many immigrants, right? 
And it's interesting, the conversations that I have with other adults asking me about my job, right? Um, and there are many people who think that we should have dropped a sink or swim uh, policy towards uh, students who come from other countries. And what, what they mean when they say sink or swim is either you have, you, you have one or two years to make it in your classes with very little support or you don't make it and you go home or you do something else, right? Instead of having somebody like me uh, and, and a number of other teachers support, um, support students' language abilities so that their actual abilities in other, in, in other content areas like math and science come through, right? Because, you know, they're just as smart as, as, uh, as any other kids, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the justification that they give for that, for, for kind of like a sink or swim and an assimilationist policy is if you're more the more homogenous you are. In other words, the more you're culturally like everybody else and linguistically like everybody else the, uh, in the country, the stronger the country will be. And that way of looking at things is probably one of the greatest causes of oppression there is out there. Like, I, 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 I yeah, and I think it's an assumption. I don't think it's necessarily the case that, um, you know, that the more homogenous your, your society is, the better off it, it, it will be. But it's, 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 it's um, kind of that, 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 that idea, um, which I think is, I think is touched on, on, on a brave new world, is really responsible for a lot of issues, a lot of social issues. Mm -hmm. That's infuriating. I haven't heard that some people don't think ELL students should receive support. And Oh, it's because I've never taught ESL formally. I studied it for my minor and I've had ELL students, but like that's infuriating because some of some of my students that I've had that English is not their first language, you can tell even though they can't communicate in English, like they have like this greatest idea for Absolutely. a piece of writing and it just needs they just need to figure out how to write it in English and like there are some times where I read it and it's like obviously there's a lot of influence from their their native language, but it's so smart and and what they need is language support mm -hmm. well i've had several students um i can think of i think i can think of a few students who i've had who you know did not necessarily achieve the proficiency that they wanted by the end of high school but still received plenty of scholarships to go to college you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they're 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 their their intellectual capacity was very much there and 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 it and and they were being successful in in their other classes but their their ability to i don't even want to say their ability to master english um because they they they, they were effectively communicating throughout their lives you know throughout their daily lives in 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 english but simply their 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 ability to master this slice of of english language that is you know, writing academic essays, um, mm -hmm. you know, still hadn't developed all the way, but was well, you know, w was obviously well on its way. You know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I, I think, I think that we should be cautious with how we, you know, with, with how we view that. Well, I feel like a lot of times after I talk, there's a lot of silence and I'm like, uh, <laughs> did I not give a proper segue? <laughs> no, no. no, you did. I'm just letting it, I'm just letting it bounce around on the old noggin. Every time we do these podcasts, like I have all my notes and then someone brings up something and it's like, 
That's so smart. I didn't even think about that. And I want to think about it more. But yeah, we got to keep the conversation going. One of the reasons that I like doing this is it reminds me of of being engaged in conversations during my college classes. It is. Well, like the good classes, not the classes where you go and there's like the one person that talks the whole time and they have like an incorrect interpretation of what's going on. And the professor like argues with them. Did you guys ever have that? I was. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, was, I, th- I think I, I think I, I I think I was sometime. I was that kid a couple of times. How about that? I wasn't always that kid. Um, and if I become that kid on this podcast, please let me know. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that, that we had to postpone because someone watched the wrong movie or didn't watch it at all. All right. Well, any last thoughts on Parasite? As I think Mr. Santos said this before we started before we started recording. This is like the only or one of five, you said, Mr. Santos, one of five movies that won the Cannes Film Festival and also the Oscar for, for Best Picture? Yeah, if I remember correctly, um, I think it was one out of only five who had done both in the same year. If you somehow got through, got all the way to the end of this podcast and you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, um, watch the movie. It's so incredibly, stupidly good that I don't even know, like, like I don't even know what I want from media. I mean, I'm almost 30, and I still get a lot of joy from the nuances of anime. But then I turn around and watch something like this and I'm like, wow, maybe, maybe, maybe stories aren't done being told or at least stories that like say good things or like have something to say, I guess you could say. Also, a lot of his other movies are really good. He has a movie called The Host that should not be um, confused with the Stephanie Meyer book. Um, It's actually about, it's not about aliens. It's about like some sort of like creature monster. And I've heard it's like fantastic and horrifying. And I don't know if I'll watch it, but it's also on Hulu. Is it in Korean? It is in Korean. Hmm. Yeah. The only two movies that he has that aren't in Korean are Okja and Snowpiercer. Well, I'm glad we were able to find a film that wasn't in English for this. Yeah. Because I don't watch too many many movies or TV shows that are not in English. Um, This is a really good one. I've heard that there's a lot of Korean cinema that is just like the tops. I believe it. Uh, well, the other thing about this movie—what was our previous movie? I'm trying to remember. What, did, what was our last episode about? District Nine. Uh, I think that that District Nine and this movie are not the type of movies that people would normally say, "Hey, I want to have fun with." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I didn't sit down with my wife, get a bunch of popcorn, and you know, uh, put this on the other day and say and said to myself. This is going to be a relaxing evening. No, some of these <laughs> movies are difficult to watch, right? They yeah. Are, they, 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 make, they make us uncomfortable on, a, on an emotional and an intellectual level. They also make us uncomfortable on a visceral level, right? I mean, it's not, it's not nice to see people having to swim in sewage, right? Um, but I think it's important that we, as human beings, um, accustom our our palate, right? Uh, the, the, the things that we decide to watch um, and our taste for it to uh, at least a little bit of the stuff that makes us uncomfortable because that helps us, you know, that helps us to grow. And I think that this movie and also District 9 from the previous episode um, do that, right? District 9 was not easy for me to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and definitely, as Mr. Smith said, it's not easy to watch while you're eating something. Yeah, it's uh, very, very violent. It's very violent and gruesome. And I'm not, I'm not trying to condone watching a bunch of violence, but what I am saying is that sometimes in order to get the messages that, some of the messages that are important for others to hear, 
um, we have to go through a little bit of discomfort. Next week, we're going to watch Moonlight, which is oh, on Netflix. It's on Netflix. So I've not watched good. it before. I've finally seen a movie that someone else hasn't seen beforehand. This movie is awesome. Very excited. I, I, I haven't seen or heard of it. I'm excited to, to, to check out something new. That's cool. Oh, man. You guys are in for a treatsy treat. It was it was wow. nominated for like best picture and that it sort won of stuff, best right? picture. It won, it best, won picture. best picture. I'm sorry. Really? So that's actually a little thing that I will get into on the next episode of Distant. You got you guys don't watch anime, so I'm like doing this like announcing thing. So <laughs> I, I knew what it was. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> I, I have a tendency to to, to over explain things on the next episode of Distant Poet Society. Awesome. We will see you guys next week while we talk about Moonlight. And as they say in the movie, so long.